coming up on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and special guest, Arsen S. Marsubian, a.k.a. Papa Soub, author and motivational speaker, sharing his recent books, Don't Die and A Heartbeat Away. What happened in Arsen's journey that helped create the person he is today? How life's paths, no matter how wonderful they may seem, can change us and our journey How can life get in our way without us realizing? Join us in this intimate moment coming up next here on YHTV. This week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today for Don't Die. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide and co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. I never know how this is going to start because I... (laughs) Because I never know how you're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, exploring ways to achieve optimal health. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our followers on Magical Medical Tour know that we mainly interview healers in hopes of giving new current information for people to make Uh, medical choices toward optimal health. But on special occasions, we talk with someone who has gone through some kind of a transformation due to a serious uh, illness or injury, and they they emerge from this, uh, from the metaphorical cocoon, to make a a difference for others. And today we're going to be interviewing Arsen Marsupian. He is an author and a motivational speaker and Today, we're going to find out his journey of going through serious illness to uh, helping people to transform their health. But before we do, Christina, how do people get in touch with us? Thank you, Glenn. Um, At any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Um, Now, you might listen to it a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, not to worry Just type away and send it over to us, and we will be sure to get um, it over to our guest or Dr. Woolman, but we will be sure to reply. And another way to do it is actually giving us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Thank you, Doc. Oh, you're quite welcome. Before we meet Orson, I would like to uh, send out a shout to Karen Jagoda, J-A-G-O-D-A. She's the person who runs Empowered Patient Podcast, which I recommend that all of you listen to. She keeps an eye on advances in uh, precision and digital medicine, and her goal is to help change the relationship between patients and their doctors. So that's empoweredpatientpodcast.com. And in fact, that's how we got uh, to meet Arsen Marsubi and our guest today. So welcome, Arsen. Thank you, Doc. Nice to be here, Christina. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you for being here and honoring our community. It's a, this is an exciting show. This, uh, <laughs> this is an exciting show and the things that you do. It's, it, it really is. Uh, didn't know it exists until I heard from uh, our other friend. <laughs> and when I was on her, and Karen, when I was on her show. Yeah. And so you, in preparing for this show, you watched a couple of our shows? Yes. And what did that tell you? A great show. I mean, there's a lot of really good medical information and, and uh, understanding the community a little bit about uh, who they are to people and, and what they're doing to trying to get well. And, and, and wellness is a, 
is a big, big topic and uh, issue that I'm very passionate about now, having not been so well for a while. Yeah, we're going to find out about that. And But before we do, I want to give everyone a, a, just a quick rundown of your history, what kind of things you have done professionally and socially. So why don't you tell us that for just a moment or two? Well, it, it may take a little bit more than a moment at age 83. You know, I've had a lot of history in, uh, with that. But uh, once I graduated um, in uh, 1958 with um, a degree in physical education and a California teaching credential, I actually started my career as a recreation therapist at a uh, state mental hospital here in California. Uh, I did that for almost a year. Then I became the sports supervisor for the city of Fresno. I got a chance to move back to my hometown and the job opened up. So I became the sports supervisor in charge of all of the uh, sports activities, uh, adults and, and youth. And I did that for a number of years. And then I elevated up and became the assistant to the, the director of parks and recreation. And uh, then that took me to uh, deputy city manager of the city of Fresno for seven years. And uh, so I did that, and uh, finally I had about 20 years with the city of Fresno and decided I wanted to uh, do something different. And I left and became the executive director for California State University of Fresno's Bulldog Foundation and raised, uh, got in the fundraising business. And from that, I got into um, the, the life insurance business. And that was in 1980. So since 1980, uh, in the life insurance business, I went from being just an agent to an assistant branch manager, to a general agent, to a regional sales and marketing director for a major life insurance company that gave me an opportunity to travel the United States and uh, have several territories, started on the East Coast. And eventually, um, when I retired, I was the national sales and marketing director for the West Coast of the United States for that company. I did, left that. Uh, Went through a series of uh, heart surgeries that we're going to talk about. Uh, then after that, I've come back and um, to, into Fresno and back as an independent life insurance agent. And then my career started as, uh, as an author and a speaker. I think that covers it pretty well. In your, in your whole <laughs> history, were you always healthy or unhealthy until these, the heart problems started? Uh, I thought I was very healthy. I thought I was very healthy. I mean, I was a, a distance runner in college and uh, in high school, so I was uh, very active uh, that way. And, and I got out, and then um, life got in the way, and I stopped doing the exercise and, uh, and programs. And I thought I was pretty healthy until I ran into that first medical examination uh, that eventually led it to uh, open heart open heart surgery. So let's talk about that for a few moments as a nice segue. How old were you when this first medical problem happened? Uh, 64. And was it a routine exam or were you having problems? It was a, a routine exam. I was um, uh, uh, had left Transamerica and I was going into the private business. Um, and so I needed to get out of Cobra and get my own health insurance. So I applied, and, and uh, being an agent, I was writing the application myself. So I thought, well, th this will be easy, and I get it through. And, and uh, they came back, and they said, uh, you got to take a physical. And I said, you know, it's me. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to take a physical. And they said, no, you got to take a physical. So I, I went, and I took the physical examination. And in that process, the doctor said, well, we want to do a, a Cardiolite exam. And I didn't know what that was. And so we did the Cardiolite, and uh, we called and said, uh, from the looks of this, we'd like to take an angiogram. And I said, well, I don't want to do that because I've heard of somebody that died from an angiogram, and, and, and I, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, we went back and forth, and finally said, you're not going to get the insurance if you don't do it because this, they've said you got to do it. I said, okay. I'll, I went in, and I did the angiogram. Uh, and then that led to the first bypass surgery. Now, people people that may not know, although probably everyone that wa watches and listens to the show knows what an angiogram is, but it's basically when we put uh, dye into uh, your vascular system and then take pictures of the heart, 
to see how the blood vessels, the main blood vessels that feed the heart and oxygenate and bring nutrition to the heart uh, work. And we need to see if they're healthy or not healthy. And in your case, they were not healthy. They were not healthy. And uh, there was a lot of blockage. I think at that time, my cholesterol level was uh, about 247. And uh, my my memory is correct, but I was about 247. I was weighing about 217 pounds at the time, and I'm, I'm five foot uh, uh, eight. And so I was um, pretty much out of shape and had not been uh, exercising and working, was under a lot of stress. And so there was a uh, really good reasons for that. But uh, once they did the angiogram, that uh, little story about that is that. You know, I've been in sales for a number of years, but uh, they did the angiogram that came in. They, they said, uh, Mr. Marsubian, we're sorry to tell you, you know, that you have 85% blockage in several of your arteries, and particularly the Widowmaker, uh, which is the uh, descending aorta. And <laughs> it, you know, well, it's not you, actually the uh, descending uh, aorta. It isn't? What is it? I forgot well, it's that. What- it's one of the main arteries in the heart that works on uh, the uh, that affects the rhythm. See, they were they were wrong again. So, <laughs> but the they told, but anyway, they, really? <laughs> yeah, they told me there was there was a widowmaker. And so, well, they call it the widowmaker, but it's not really the aorta. At least it wasn't when I went to medical school. Maybe they've. <laughs> Maybe they've changed uh, the definition of widowmakers now. No. <laughs> well, when I tell you what happened with these doctors, you maybe understand what they were telling me. So we, they said, you can either leave the hospital, and if you get a 911 call, you probably don't make it back. But Dr. Jones here just happens to have an opening tomorrow morning at 730. Which would you like to do? Leave? Yeah. <laughs> Or have the surgery. Now, well, before, you, before you go yeah. on, Parson, yeah. did you, did you, were you married at the time? Was there a chance that there was a Widowmaker here? Uh, yes, there was. There was a Widowmaker sitting in the uh, in the waiting room. And uh, we had just, let's see, that was, uh, we'd only been married about four or five years at that time. It, uh, it was a new, uh, a new marriage. And uh, so I told the doctors, I said, well, let me, let me check with my wife. And they said, we already did. And uh, she said, do the surgery. <laughs> well, uh, there was, uh, so that option two was, was gone. So I said, okay, let's do the surgery. And then they, and here's a, an interesting thing from a medical standpoint, Doc. They said, we have a new procedure now where we don't put you on the heart pump. We have a thing called the octopus. And the octopus goes in and clamps down on the the area that they're going to do the surgery on. They, they isolate it, clamp down on the blood, cut the blood off, do the graft, move it, and do it again. And they said that they were going to do two or three grafts. And that, that's important to the story because what happened afterwards was a nightmare. So... But anyway, that's what they that's what they did. They did the the first surgery was done with the and they they assured me that this was not a uh, experimental technique that that was, had been a proven technique. Had you ever heard of that before the octopus? Yeah, they're they're always looking for new uh, ways to improve medicine. Clearly, technology keeps changing, and the heart bypass machine was one step to help people have heart transplants and have heart surgeries, but things are certainly better now, as is anesthesia and techniques and many other things. But you talked about a nightmare. So it seems like we should have music in this show in the background because that would have been a really good moment. Christina, you should be humming along or something. And- <laughs> I want to hear about this octopus. I, I tell you, the Widowmaker is one thing. The octopus, ah, you know? I got a lot of creatures in my stories. I guess. <laughs> Halloween's just passed. You know that, right? <laughs> well, you know, okay, so. what, what happened, Doc, was that instead of just doing the two or three, uh, this doctor decided that he was going to try to make medical history and do five bypasses with a pump, and nobody had done five before. So they ended up doing five uh, five bypasses, 
with the grafts, and uh, the recovery was great. I was in intensive care for 12 hours. I came out of that, and two days later, I was home. And we thought, wow, this was remarkable. But the only problem was that it didn't work. It, it, it didn't work. And that really what set up the next one, because uh, 30 days later, when I went in to do the exam, as you know, they, they do that before you go back into rehab. So they put me on a treadmill and they started to do the run. And I was on it for maybe 10, 15 seconds. And the doctor told me to get off. The first leads came through, set me up for another cardiolite exam, set me up for another angiogram. They came in and read the angiogram and told me, Mr. Marsubian, we're sorry. We don't know how to tell you this, but four of the five graphs are closed. They're shut off, and everything is now going back through the original arteries that were all blocked. Were you having any feelings or were you having any uh, warnings or awareness that anything was wrong or did you feel fine? Uh, I was fatigued. And of course, I didn't know how to feel. You know, I, I didn't understand what was normal, what was not normal from the first first surgery. That's a and, good point. And so it was like, OK, well, now I've had enough of them. I understand what, what I should be feeling like. But I didn't, I, I didn't know. So I went in and thinking I was in pretty good shape until I got that, that test. And uh, I asked the doctors, I said, well, how'd that happen? And their answer was remarkable again. Uh, we don't know. Uh, it happens in about 2% of cases. So I was pretty good odds. I was only 2% of a, you know, I could have gone to Vegas with those kinds of odds. 98% <laughs> are successful, 2% aren't. So I was in the top 2%. Uh, and they said that what we can do is that if you can make a year with diet and exercise, then we may be able to do that surgery again. But for the year, we can't go in and do the surgery because of scar tissue, because it's just too dangerous to go back in and do that surgery again. So my question was, where was option C in the first discussion? 30 days ago, there was no option of exercise and diet and, and get back into a routine where we don't have to do the surgery. Maybe you could get rid of that, get rid of the cholesterol, do some medication, get, get healthy without having to do the surgery. So uh, I was a little upset that I even had to do the first surgery. So now I was like walking a tightrope without any net. They said, you know, if you have a heart attack and you have a problem within a year, you don't make it. Because we, we can't go in and and open you up again. Well, that was pretty scary. It's a pretty scary time. How did your wife feel about that? And she was very nervous. She was very nervous. She wanted to make sure that the insurance was paid up. So that uh, it was a pretty nervous time. She got uh, actually went into started the rehab. Actually started the rehab program, and uh, was going in for the exercise and stuff. And so there was few issues with with that she didn't like the the instructors they were too too young too attractive and uh so that that, that upset her um but in the process of, of waiting and i have my faith in, in, in certain things people come into your life for a reason and a season and we had some people that we had met from another country that were here in the united states uh, and they didn't have any place to go for Thanksgiving. And so we invited them over. We we'd met them. I'd left town. It's a lot of different things. But just by chance, we contacted this, this lovely couple, a young woman and her son. And they came over for Thanksgiving. And I was telling her the story. She said, well, why don't you get a second opinion? I said, well, where would I go? She says, well, I have some friends at UCLA. Would you want me to contact them? I said, absolutely. So she did, and the intervention there, and I met a couple of great doctors. I met a doctor. They did some examinations. They looked. They said, we can do this surgery again now, but it's a lot more risky than, than the first one. But we've determined from your examination that you can do this surgery again. So through that second of opinion, 
and while I was waiting to decide whether I would do that or not, I had family issues. My daughter was getting married. I didn't know what was, if I was going to be part of that or what was happening. Uh, but I then did experience a, a mild heart attack uh, about mid-December. I went back to the first hospital, told them that I was working with uh, Dr. Hilly Lacks. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the met him, doctor. He uh, was UCLA Medical Center, is one of the finest. He was head surgeon, uh, heart surgeon at UCLA Medical Center. Wonderful guy, great guy. I went in, and, and Dr. Guzzi was, a, was the cardiologist. And they worked with me, put it together. When they had the heart attack, I got up there. They sent me to UCLA. I, I stayed in the hospital for a week, and then they did the second bypass surgery where they had me on the operating table for 13 hours, was on the pump, and it was absolutely a remarkable, amazing medical feat that changed my life. And that was really the biggest the biggest event that, uh, that changed my life. And then I was in intensive care for four days, not 12 hours. I was there in the hospital for another five days uh, before coming out and I actually came home uh, on the turn of the millennium. So, uh, and the surgery was on my 65th birthday. It, was the, 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 it turned out that the, the day that they could do the surgery of December 22nd was my 65th birthday. So, so I got another my, birthday I, coming up. They got another one coming up. I'll be 83 in a, in a few weeks. When did you know that it changed your life uh, in recovery or subconsciously during the surgery or three days later? When did you mention that it changed your life? So how and when did you know that? I, I didn't realize it until uh, several years later. Uh, oh, okay. Really, really the, uh, the takeaway from that surgery was the difference in the care from the first surgery to the second surgery. And this other thing that was that was done is that the Dr. Lacks used the artery out of my arm instead of just the veins out of my legs. Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, traditionally that's where they get all of the all of the grafts so that they take the veins out of your legs. But this one he took 25 whatever uh, length and rebuilt an entire system in my heart. And it was, that was, that was an amazing piece of surgery that, uh, that he did that, that period of time. But the aftercare at the hospital was the biggest difference in that. And there were many things that happened during that time, that the intensive care, that the first two days after surgery, as you know, is can be pretty traumatic. The, the drugs, the, the thoughts, or hallucinations, or dreams, or whatever. But I had plenty of them, and uh, it, it was it, it was that was quite an experience. It was quite an experience. But then the re the recovery time uh, was slow. That uh, caused some issues uh, uh, in the marriage, uh, in in the program. So. Well, was that your final surgery? Uh, I wish I could say it was, but I'm a very slow learner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had another, uh, I had to have another cabbage in uh, 2004. Cabbage and, is a coronary artery bypass graft. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't about eating different vegetables. No, uh, that that wasn't about. You know what? I think you said that. The one thing that we did between the first surgery and the collapse, with the, the the problems with that, was that I thought I was going to really eat healthy. And so I started to load up on broccoli and all kinds of greens and, and uh, salads. And so I got away from, you know, that that was kind of my diet for the first couple of weeks after I got home. Mm. Since that day, I found out that those are very high in vitamin K. And the vitamin K causes a clotting and the thickening 
of the blood. And so I'm, it could have been causing my own problem within that 30-day period of time, thinking I was eating healthy and by eating an, an abundance of greens and, and um, changing that diet. So from you know, from a health standpoint, the diet, I, I, I learned about vitamin K later on. So you mentioned that uh, you were a slow learner and there were more surgeries to come. How was your mental attitude as you were dealing with all of this? Well, the mental attitude was um, was good. You know, there was, uh, it was, it is what it is. Uh, I went through, between the second surgery and the, the third one, uh, I went through a divorce. We, we got divorced in uh, 2001 and uh, I moved, actually moved back to Fresno, California, my hometown where my kids and grandkids are. And so we were living in Los Angeles uh, when we got the divorce. And then I, I came back to Fresno and um, got a cardiologist that went through the, the, the test. Um, and the other thing that I had was um, from a medical standpoint, my heart went into AFib condition where it wasn't staying in rhythm. And, and I had to have it shocked back into get back into rhythm, heart would keep going out of rhythm. And we had done this several times in Los Angeles after the second surgery. And when I got to Fresno, I was on medication for that. And my heart went out of rhythm again. I went into AFib and cardiologists said, well, they were going to do another shock treatment. And I told him, I said, please contact Dr. Guzzi and ask him because he said, don't do this anymore. If, if you have this, we just do a medication. We don't want to shock you anymore. So would you check with him before you do it? Because it's always a good idea to get doctors, you know, especially if you move from one town to another and you got a new doctor. It's good to have them see if they would speak with one another. He said he would. We went back and forth. And so the time came for the procedure. And I said, have you ever have you talked to Dr. Guzzi yet? He said, uh, yes, I did. And I said, well, what did he say? And then I was, they'd give me the anesthesia and, and I was out and I never heard the answer. <laughs> and, and they did that and they, they put me back, got me back in rhythm, got back out. And I said, uh, the person was with me. I said, what did, was the answer to the question? I asked the question, what did Dr. Guzzi say? He said, Dr. Guzzi said, don't do it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But this doctor went ahead and did it, and um, he did it. I think I had one more after that, and, and, it, and I've stayed in rhythm since that time. They so, didn't have to put it, in a pacemaker or anything? Uh, no, no pacemaker. Um, that came, a defibrillator came much later in life. But what happened the, for the third surgery, uh, again, uh, I was feeling some pains when I was exercising. Uh, I happened to mention it to the nurses in the rehab, and they went and ratted out me to the doctor. They had me in. They come in. They did the cardiologic test. They did the angiogram. Uh, they said I had all kinds of blockage. An emergency surgery sent me up to Dr. Gadiani up in uh, Redwood City, um, supposed to be the greatest doctor around, Dr. God, and he has all the tough cases to work on. And so they, they rushed me up there, and they were going to do four. And I told them, I said, Doc, I said, a lot of people have been praying for me. I don't feel that bad. I said, I, I, don't, I don't think that I need this surgery. Would you please look at all of them? And I had the tapes from the second surgery. So I gave them the tapes. I said, would you watch this? Said, I think there's something in here. You may want, no, 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 no. We, we looked at all this stuff. You you need you know you need four. They harvested for four, took the veins. When they got through, they did the one graft in the back of the heart from the first surgery that wasn't done this at UCLA. He repaired that. I told him he did that because I'm, otherwise I'd have sued him for not for opening me up for no reason, but. That's what happened. But he said that what they occurred was that the, Dr. Guzzi didn't mark the graphs. And you would understand that, Doc. I didn't understand it. He said, 
we've marked the graphs so that when we go in and do an angiogram, anybody does it in the future, they'll be able to see the graph because when they did the angiogram, they went through the God-made arteries. They took that road, and those all look block, but they missed the entire graph that was that was built at UCLA. So wow. I really wasn't as bad as, as I thought I was. They thought, they thought I was. So the, that's what happened with the with the third surgery, and um, and that was that that lasted. Uh, that was two thousand and four, and I think the next surgery I had was in two thousand and twelve, and that was um, was a stent, and, and I had a doctor at uh, at that time. I changed over to Kaiser uh, Permanente here in Fresno. I had a doctor, came in, he looked at my charts, and said, you know, he said, you're really in bad shape. I said, I don't know what I am. And he said, no, no, he said, you, you, you can drop dead any minute. And, and I said, well, so can you. I said, you know, everybody's, uh, everybody's a heartbeat away. And uh, so we laughed about it. We became very good friends, but uh, we went through all that, and he said, well, I think uh, – uh, I want to do an angiogram and may, maybe do a stent. So checked around, did a couple more explorations, and I said, "Doc, how many, uh, how many, sir, how many do you do of these?" He says, "Well, we do about ten a month." That's pretty good. And I said, "What's your success ratio?" He says, "Well, we're about eighty percent." Oh, all right. Well, we'll find out his batting average, you know. So. <laughs> And I said, well, who's the best in Kaiser? He's the, the doctor up in uh, Santa Clara the, the, is the head of surgery. I said, okay, let me talk to him. So he put me in touch with him. We went through it. Uh, I, can't, I can't, can't remember his name. A great doctor, though. I had, I had so much fun with him. He called me. He said, okay, he looked at the stuff. I come up here. So I went to Santa Clara. They, they, what had happened was they, one of the grafts had closed and had 100% blockage. And so there was no blood going to the bottom part of the heart. And because uh, it was like in a V. And um, as you know, Doc, the grafts take about a stand. If you're going to do it, if you go in, it takes about 45 minutes. He worked on me for over two hours. He said it was 100%. They had to use a 12-gauge wire to break it open. But I told him he had a heart of a champion because it was him against that graft, and he was the graft wasn't going to win. So he got it done. I was recovering. Come in, and he goes, you know, I found four more. What I can do. That's great for you. <laughs> oh, no. I said, I said, but are those man-made or God-made? He said, no, no, these are God-made. So he had seen all of the other vessels that would close from the, back in 1999. So we set up a time. I went back six weeks later, and he did four more stents, put in four more stents, opened up everything that, that was great. And um, he, was, he was a terrific Terrific guy's retired now. Uh, and I asked him what his track record was. He says, how many, says, how many of these do you do? He said, we do 15 a day. 15 a day versus 10 a month. And his track record was like 98%. I said, you're the guy I want done. You're, you're the guy I want to do this. So they did. They, they put in the stents. Um, 2013. Uh, they decided that I needed a defibrillator. Um, we went back and forth, and they finally convinced me that that was like having a paramedic in my chest. And I said, well, that's good. Damn, I can do crazier things than I've ever done. I don't have to worry about anything. If I got a paramedic in my chest, to get, you know, if I fall over, that thing will kick in. So we went ahead. We put in the defibrillator in 2013, and I've had absolutely zero incidents. I go in and have it checked all the time. It's never fired. It's never had any, I've never had any problems uh, with it since. So that's kind of uh, where I am. Oh, last month, August, uh, August of this year, 
they did one more stent. They found a stent and um, they found a blockage, 85% blockage. But here was the interesting thing, and I think this is from a medical standpoint for, for your audience, Doc. I said, I haven't had a cholesterol reading over 125 in seven years. Why would I have an 85% blockage? Where would that come from? If cholesterol is the big monster in the heart, and I got cholesterol that looks like water running through there, and if you still have me on Lipitor, you still have me on this medication, why would I have an 85% blockage? What's happened? Where did it come from? Answer. Genetics. And the blockage was in the graph that was done in December of 99, he says it's been 15 years, it's just getting old and it started to collapse in, in there. So graphs are great, but they're not the answer to everything. They're going to get old. They're going to collapse. They're going to be redone, reworked. So that's, that was the last one that was, uh, that was done. Uh, I have a lot of confidence uh, in the, the medical care that I'm getting now. And the doctors that uh, the, that watch, um, I'm still very high risk. Uh, I tell my audiences sometimes that uh, uh, if I should drop dead at the at the podium, don't panic. It's it's part of the plan. It's just it, 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 it's going it's 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 going to happen soon. it may happen now, so uh, don't worry about it. You know, I have the, the, just call nine one one and then. Um, Hope the defibrillator will kick in until they get there. Now, yeah, it's interesting that you bring up about the cholesterol because for many years we've all looked at cholesterol as the main uh, culprit in uh, cardiovascular disease and stroke disease, and certainly it is part of the uh, part of the problem. But we're finding out, of course, genetics is another part, lifestyle is another part, inflammation is another part, stress is another part. All of these things are part of it. Uh, it's good to continue to look at cholesterol, but that's not the not as much of the main focus as it as it used to be. There's many other factors involved in this. Yes, you you seem to be as as you talk about a heartbeat away from uh, not being here anymore, and and this could even happen during our show, I guess, right? Yes, it could. Yes, it could. Unfortunately, uh, uh, I think Christina knows CPR, virtual CPR. <laughs> it's coming to that. <laughs> Just put your finger over there. <laughs> right. There's an app for CPR now. Put, the, put your iPhone on your chest. That that's possible. It's, I, I, won't, I won't count on anything as technology anymore. It's crazy. So, so you so since that time you you have changed and you've become. Uh, a motivational speaker and an author. Uh, you've written a number of books, and I imagine those books have a lot to do with your history. Uh, why don't you briefly tell us about the books? Because I want to spend some uh, some of the remaining time on the work you do in motivational speaking. But it's a good idea to to at least mention some of the books right now. Why don't you talk about that? Thank you. Uh, actually, the motivational speaking was the thing that drove the, the, the book. So in, in 2008, um, I had retired. I, I figured, you know, I've, I've had all these surgeries and stuff. I'm pretty sick. My kids thought I was pretty sick. You might as well just live out your life. So my, my son and daughter-in-law bought me a membership to a country club. Uh, and that was great. So I went out and I started playing a lot, a lot of golf. I was playing golf uh, every day of the week. Uh, the, the club was open, setting records of the number of rounds played. Uh, had a great life. Had uh, had a new girlfriend in my life, new lady in my life. Um, but I got bored. I got bored and and went through a little period of depression, and was doing a couple of things. And then I was in a, uh, a network marketing uh, uh, operation. And I uh, heard Mark Victor Hansen was uh, a speaker, and uh, I bought some tapes from him, and we had a session, and I went to his uh, seminar, and I got some more seminars, and I thought, you know, when I was in my 40s, 
uh, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I, it, my life had gotten changed with the dynamics of personal motivation and had learned about how to set goals and have visions and directions. And it was something I wanted to teach other people. But I didn't do it. I did other, as you could tell, all the other jobs that I had. But then I said, as I was sat at these seminars and I started going to these classes and, and uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Les Brown. I don't know if you know Les, but he's a world-renowned national motivational speaker, one of the top speakers in the world. Wonderful guy. He's become a good friend. And um, I was involved with one of his events. I canceled out. He called me. We went through it. We talked for a few minutes. I went to his event. Finally, so I told myself, I'm 74 years old. I said, I don't want to be a speaker. I said, I, I, my time has passed. Life is gone. So he goes, no. He says, you got greatness within you. You got all this experience. You got to come to the class. I said, okay. So I went to the class. It was interesting. It was 10 years later. It was like 2009. I got there when I met him. It was 10 miles from UCLA Medical Center. It was downtown Los Angeles. We went there, and I got motivated. I got changed. And I learned a story. I'm going to tell you a real quick, quick story. See, there was an old man that was on his deathbed. And he was there, and all of a sudden he sees a figure standing around his bed. He goes, oh, my high school buddies. Guys came to cheer me up. Wow, this is great. And one of them walked over and grabbed his hand and said, yeah, you know us. See, I'm your dreams, and he's your ambitions, and he's your talents, and he's your goals. You never used us, and we didn't come to cheer you up. We came to die with you. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that was me in that bed in 1999 on my 65th birthday I was going to take all of my hopes, dreams, talents, gifts to the grave with me and I made a decision at that point to say I'm not going to do that whatever I have to give I'm going to make a conscious effort to get out and try to give it back so learn, I went to classes and learned different things and Certain classes for with, with less it taught me how to tell stories on the different things of speaking. And then he said, you have to have a book. If you're going to be a speaker, you have to have a book. I don't, I don't know what to write about. You know, I'm 75, 76 years old. So I don't know how to write a book. Besides, I'm a terrible English major. So what happened was I wrote this book. You can see it. Don't die. Three essential truths for a fulfilled and happy life. And this was a story about the, the different surgeries, about my life, the things, and what changed my life and the things that was different was that instead of just playing golf every day and making the biggest decision I had to make was did my short and shirt and socks match so that I looked good <laughs> on the course. Because I didn't play very well, but I wanted to make sure that I looked good when I was out there. So those are the biggest decisions I had to make. But then I found out when I was going to these seminars, my mind was awakened again. I was learning. I was developing. I was still starting to grow again. I got back in the gym. I started working out. I was doing different exercises on a regular basis. I started giving back. I started doing as I was, as you going to speak. I'd go to seminars and young people would say, what are you doing here? Man, you're really an inspiration. Is, what is a 70-year-old guy here? I, you know, I said, well, I'm here just trying to learn just like you are. But it was a revelation that I had an impact on younger people just by showing up, just by being a part of it. And so that's what really has added life. And so that the book, Don't Die, really talks about keep learning. You have to keep using your mind. The mind is very important. Whether you're reading or doing something, just keep your mind active. Keep your body active. Get back in. Get off the couch. Get back in the game of life. 
whether you go to the gym, whether you walk, whether you swim, whether you play golf, whether you, I don't care what it is that you're doing, but keep your body moving, keep it going. And the third thing is the giving, whether you're, it's not monetary, but maybe you want to give your gifts and talents and changes, but you always can help somebody else. Be more concerned about the welfare of others than you are about your own. That is the way to keep living. That's the how how to add life to your years, not just years to your life. And just keep the thing moving. Because as you know, Doc, everything is born, grows, levels off, and then starts to decline into the end, whether it's with plants, whether it's living organisms, or whatever it is. And so as a learning goals, when you reach that plateau and you start to level off, the only way to keep it going is to set new goals and to rebirth something new. So Mm. the rebirth of being an author, being a speaker, was the thing that elevated me to keep keep moving on. And, uh, And the title of the book, Don't Die, actually came from the great comedian, George Burns. And, Christina, you may not know him. You're young well, enough. To, uh, <laughs> I'm not Mr. that Burns, <laughs> Mr. Burns, at age 95 or so, was being interviewed by a, a young reporter. He had all these starlets around him and his cigar in his mouth and drink in his hand. <laughs> and the reporter said, Mr. Burns, what's the secret to long life? He thought about it, he took a cigar out of his mouth, and he goes, don't die. <laughs> and, I, and I laughed at that, never forgot it. And so when I had to come up with a title for the book, I thought, what a great title. Nobody's explained how to live longer than Mr. Burns with Don't Die. That's how the book came about. That's the title of the book. Christina. Yeah. Yes, sir. Any thoughts? Oh, so many. It's it's uh, like <laughs> so so. Papa soup. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you. So, in in total, I, how many surgeries did you have? Seven. In total, that's with all oh, the stents and. That's with all the stents. Yes. And uh, your last checkup was great. <laughs> The last checkup, uh, every vital sign was in normal range. Uh, my cholesterol was 83. And uh, I said, 83. I said, there's got to be some point at the level where it's too low. But they said, well, if it goes much lower, we will talk about taking you off of the Lipitor and some of the other cholesterol medicines that you're on. I said, this it makes no sense because of the supplements and the and the vitamins and the other things that I'm doing in my life and exercising. Uh, my triglycerides were 56, uh, so all of all of the vitals are are, are very strong. Uh, from a medical standpoint, the only thing and and Doc, maybe you'll be able to explain this. Uh, my ejection fraction is the only number that gives uh, anybody any concerns and in, in where they came up with the idea that I could stop living at it uh, at any moment uh, in time is because my ejection fraction is around 24 and they say it should be should be a little higher than that. yes the uh, ejection fraction they measure the amount of blood that when the the ventricle squeezes down and blood goes out of the um, aorta the ascending aorta the main artery that leaves the heart, uh, they want to know how much blood goes out there. And we like to see at least over somewhere between 50 and 70 percent, I believe, are the numbers. Sometimes actually you think, well, I want to get 100 percent. That's not always good. But having it kind of <laughs> too <laughs> having much. it yeah, too much. But also, yeah, so the ejection fraction is something they look at and they'll follow carefully. But another another um moment on cholesterol is it's important not to be taking these medications to drop keep dropping your cholesterol down to such low numbers because cholesterol is actually one of the building blocks for 
almost all of the hormones in our body, like testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, we use cholesterol as a starting block for that. So if we keep wiping out our cholesterol, then we're not going to have many of these other hormones. Um, I want to ask you a question about motivation. Now you're a motivational speaker and you see things uh, and you're talking about things and you've had these experiences of seven surgeries and you live now with the idea that at any moment you're a heartbeat away. Uh, at one point early in your life, you were in physical education, so you knew a lot about the body. You were a, a life underwriter, which meant that you basically figured out the risks of someone's mortality um, and all of these things. If you were to go back now and speak to your younger self, do you think you would have made a difference at that time? Yes. Uh, and, and the difference would have been to really do the things that we talk about in the book. Because then particularly the activity, um, having been a distance runner and being in things like that, between the time I was in my 30s, late 30s, early 40s, until the 60s, that 20-year period of time, um, playing golf was probably the biggest activity that I did. I wasn't in the gym. I didn't walk regularly. I, I, I didn't run. Uh, I wasn't swimming. Uh, there wasn't really any physical activity that was uh, offsetting the stress in my life and, and the things that, uh, that I was doing. It just Life got in the way, and I just didn't take advantage of, uh, of those other opportunities. didn't think that I needed to. And so I ballooned up to 217 pounds. At, at, at five foot seven, and that—that's what caused—that's what caused the problem. So, if I had to go back and do something else again, I would find a a, a regimen. I would stay uh, in the gyms and, and and start exercising. And of course, there are plenty of them around now that uh, that you can participate in. There's no really no no excuse uh, at any age. Not to physically get out. I mean, they have uh, water aerobics. I, I see the, the elderly people doing that uh, all the time. It's a great, it's a great program. Uh, I bowl now, and uh, there's a league in town here. It's called Sexy Seniors, and there are people in their 90s and in hundreds uh, that are still bowling. Um, they, they lose people a couple of times, you know, three, four people die here each year during the, during the course of the season. But it's amazing to go out and watch them out there bowling and staying, staying active. And it's a, an activity. Is sexy seniors on your shirt? Uh, no. Oh, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, didn't, I, 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 didn't, I didn't come up with that name. <laughs> that would motivate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I have to go back to the testosterone problem. Maybe the cholesterol is... Uh, I better get that back up again. <laughs> you know, Doc, I, uh, the, the last book I wrote, it's called A Heartbeat Away. Now, are you ready? And, uh, and, and this... This title, this book, I can see that there, actually came out of the second surgery because mm. I was getting ready to have that second surgery, and uh, had a lot of people that were praying for me. You know, when you get in that kind of situation, you want a lot of prayers. Um, it's kind of like a foxhole conversion. So. I called a pastor friend of mine. Actually, it was a gentleman that was going to marry my daughter. And I called him. His name was uh, Pastor Moore. And I said, Pastor Moore, uh, can you pray for me? I'm having a surgery tomorrow morning. He said, sure, Arson. He said, I'm going to pray for you. That's not a problem. He says, but I'm just as close to dying as you are. I said, what? They're only 38 years old. He goes, yeah. But he says, the truth is, we're all a heartbeat away from meeting the Lord, you're just more aware of it than I am. So people with cancer, <coughs> hospice program, people with mental illness, 
they are aware of the end because none of us are going to get out of here. It's a, you know, the probability of death is 100%. Nobody's getting out of here alive. So, Except Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, I had that in my head, and, and it was kind of a funny line, you know, we're all a heartbeat away, and you're just more aware of it. Fifteen years later, a friend of mine, 52 years of age, was out with his uh, children playing volleyball, enjoying the day. No, no issues in his heart or health at all. Uh, stopped and had a drink of water, and his life was over at, at 52. And as sitting at his memorial service that was well attended with over a thousand people in attendance at his memorial service. I realized at that point, so many in that room were a heartbeat away from meeting the Lord. And um, what was that like? What were the things that needed to get done? Um, so it's, it's, are you ready? Are you ready spiritually? Do you know where you're going? Do you know that you know? Are you ready relationally? Do you have reconciliation? Are there people in your life that you want to reach out to and say, hey, let's get together and have a cup of coffee. I'm really sorry about what happened. Let's put those things back together again. Whether it's an old neighbor, it's an old friend, old colleague that you work with, maybe somebody from high school. Everybody has somebody in our life like that. Many times it's a family member. You need to put those relationships back together again. And the last thing is to, to leave a legacy. What about the people who are left behind? The guy at age 52, he left a wife and four teenage young adults that needed to continue to be raised. He wanted to make sure that they're taken care of, that they're there. You want to protect those you love from those you owe. You don't want to leave them with a lot of burdens and things like that. So you'll have a legacy of... So that's what a heartbeat away is all about. And it's also part of a good mental health to know that those things are resolved because you really can't start to live until you're prepared to die. Well said. Uh, you know, you you are now a motivational speaker. You go around, you talk about your story and all your surgeries and what does it feel like when somebody comes back to you after they've been to one of your talks or they've read one of your books and they give you information that says you may have changed their life for the better? How do, how do you feel about that? That's the greatest reward that you get from doing that. There, there isn't anything better than to know that you've made an impact on somebody's life because it you know i'm reminded of another gentleman that i had heard had a chance to meet him once his name was dr anthony campolo and he was a professor at southwest university in pennsylvania and he's a sociology professor and he sent his students out to interview 50 people over the age of 95 and asked them the question, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? And they had other questions, other answers, but three things came out of that survey. One, they would take more risk in life. They'd run barefoot more often. They would do more things. Second, They would be in the moment wherever they were with whoever they were with. You're in the moment. We're here now. This is our time together. Not worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, a couple hours from now. Keep your mind active where it is now. Be in the moment. And the third thing that they would do more things that would live on in the lives of others after they were gone. And so for me, the motivational speaking, the books, the people, when they come back and say, thanks, that was great. I got something out of it. It touched my life. 
It changed me, made me think about something different. Knowing that that's going to leave an impact and maybe make an impact in somebody's life long after I'm gone is very, very satisfying. Beautiful. That's what we try and do on Magical Medical Tour and with uh, Yoga Hub's other shows also. We've always tried to do that. And thank you for all of that information. I think uh, this is uh, great in all of the information and motivation you're giving a lot of us that uh, when we listen to this again, it will uh, be remembered in our minds. And that's great. You have, uh, thank you. You have children and grandchildren. Do they listen to you? No, I'm a grandparent. I mean, this, this, why would they listen to their father? Uh, now I've got the, the three adult children. Um, the oldest is um, 56. The youngest is uh, 52. And I have a daughter in between the two boys. Uh, six grandchildren. Uh, the oldest is uh, 26. And the youngest is um, 16. So... Uh, it's been it, it's been wonderful to be here. Um, they're very excited. Uh, my my granddaughters are uh, and grandkids are. Uh, they've been a great inspiration to me as well. And and, and yeah, they're very they're very proud of what the grandpa's been 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 able to do. And and they they share my books with their friends on social media. And, oh, nice. Uh, and again, it, it really is good. Yes. Is there anything, Arson, that uh in preparing for this show, you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to mention before we get to your health tip, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, no, the, the you know, only other book that I wrote that we didn't mention was called uh, "Beating Taxes and Cheating Death," and uh, <laughs> uh, that it's insider information on life insurance. So I thought. 30-some years uh, in the life insurance business, being from an agent all the way up to the corporate officer uh, with a large insurance company, that I understand how that entire process works. And so I put it in a little bit of, uh, it, it, it's only about 60 pages. Uh, it's, it, it's a quick read, and, and I think it would help people just to simply understand what life insurance is all about. Uh, I have a whole section in there with like a CLU, what that is, the CHFC, CRP, all of the alphabet that comes after a lot of the names of uh, financial advisors. Uh, I explain in the book what those mean and what the education is behind those those letters, and then and what to look for and when you're looking for uh, looking for a life insurance agent, and and so that booklet is uh, is out there. Both of that and Don't Die is on Amazon. Uh, a heartbeat away. Uh, I got a publisher this year with uh, Morgan James Publishing, and so they've decided that, uh, and we decided together that we were going to release that book in the spring, uh, and so it'll come out with the spring books, and, and it'll be available in the stores April third, uh, two thousand and eighteen. It'll be available on Kindle and uh, the other e platforms January second. Uh, 2018. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, if, if it's okay, Doc uh, and Christina, uh, for your for your viewers, until the things last, uh, I'd like to make a, an offer for them. And we've been talking about the book, Don't Die. But if they will go and pre-order A Heartbeat Away on, on Amazon, and buy that and then get information back to me that they have done that. I will send them a free copy of Don't Die and a workbook to help them plan all of the things that they need to do in preparation for the end of uh, end of life. And so I will provide that to, to your viewers as, as long as uh, as long as they last. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much, Arson. I'm sure it's much appreciated. We'll let our viewers know about that gift. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. and all they have to do is um, send a, um, an email to papasub at subent.com. It's pretty easy, so we've been, we've been doing it. Just send me an email showing me that the certificate from uh, or the receipt 
from Amazon that they have purchased, uh, pre-ordered the Heartbeat Away, and then we'll be happy to get those other things out to them. Very good. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. You shared so much with us today, and to share that also, we're very grateful. It's time. We're coming close to the end, uh, Arsen, and we'd love to hear a health tip from you. Don't die. <laughs> now, the health, the, the health tip, Doc, really is uh, what, what we mentioned earlier. I, I think it's, it's critically important that people do the physical exercise, watch their diet, this kind of thing that's been going on. But uh, the, the, the exercise piece will help the cholesterol. It'll help the triglycerides. It'll help your mental attitude. It clears your head to doing different things. So the medical tip that I would give uh, individuals is particularly that audience that's in that 30 to 50 range where they're too busy, they're working, they're trying to raise a family, they're doing everything else, every, everything else, you're doing things for everybody else. Take the time to do something for yourself. Take a half hour out and get some exercise. That would be my tip. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. We're very grateful to our very special guest, Arsene Marsubian, Papa Soub, for sharing his uh, wisdom and experience. And certainly it's been an amazing experience, seven surgeries uh, later. Uh, I would like to thank all of my teachers and all of my healers for keeping me on my journey and thanking Yoga Hub, Christina, and Segovia for producing Magical Medical Tour. I look forward to getting together again with all of you on Magical Medical Tour, where we'll explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. Thank you so much, Arson. And until our next meeting, I wish you all optimal health. Yes, thank you so much, Papa Soub, for gifting us with your experiences and uh, really life-changing. Thank you. And of course, Dr. Glenn Woolman for another great show. Um, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his Metaphor Square Breath, or follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. You can connect with Arson S. Marsubian. Papa Soup through his website, papasoup.com, papasoup.com. And he has Facebook at um, Arson Marsubian and Soup Enterprises LLC. And of course, he has his Twitter handle at Mr. Soup One. That's <laughs> great. And uh, we all hope you enjoyed this moment here on YHTV and it has supported you or a loved one in some way. And we invite you to take a moment to like us or subscribe to our YouTube channel. This will help us to broaden the messages to other people who are out there and looking for support. We're always grateful for any feedback and comments and suggestions. Please type it into the comment box or give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste.